0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it. And healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Woman Physicians Lead podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two time best selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years' experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a board-certified family physician, best-selling author, speaker, and executive leadership coach. And I help physicians transition into leadership roles so that they can become the respected voice in healthcare. So I'm excited today to bring you another wonderful guest, another woman physician leader, who is going to share with us some of her experiences in leadership, as well as some of the challenges that she's faced, and also some of the pearls that she can give us or give women physicians who are looking to transition into leadership roles. So my guest today is Dr. Denise johnson Miller. And I'm going to just read you her bio, and then we're going to get into some great questions that I think will be helpful. So Dr. Denise Johnson-Miller has a distinguished career as a medical director, practicing physician, and associate professor of surgery in hospital, research, and industry settings. Dr. Johnson-Miller graduated from the Washington University School of Medicine, She completed her residency in general surgery at the University of Illinois and completed a fellowship in surgical oncology. Dr. Johnson Miller is currently the medical director of breast surgery at Hackensack Meridian Health in New Jersey, where she has been responsible for creating the only multidisciplinary high-risk genetics clinic in New Jersey. She's initiated and led several quality projects that reduce healthcare costs and repeat admissions. She's also identified and reduced community barriers to care through community engagement, educational lectures, and participating on boards with underserved community members. Dr. Johnson-Miller, she's a clinical professor in surgery at Seton Hall Medical School. So thank you, Dr. Johnson-Miller, for participating today. Thank you for being a guest on the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. We are honored to have you here today.
2: Thank you so very much.
1: So we're just going to get into some questions. I think that, you know, it's important for us as women physicians to have mentors, to have colleagues that we can look up to, people who have already sort of, you know, walked the walk and have paved the path towards leadership. So some of these questions today are going to be around that topic. So as we all know, as women physicians and as women physicians in leadership, we only make up a small pool of the C-suite. Right. So although, you know, again, we represent almost half of the medical school class, we only represent a small portion of the C-suite. And especially when you look at specialties, you know, like yours in terms of surgery, the percentage of you is even that much lower. So when you think about leadership in your journey and where and how it began, can you share with us who or what may have been instrumental in that transition for you?
2: Well, it's a, a long journey, and there are several steps along the way. I think I have to really say that when I look back, when you're a young woman or going through childhood, you don't realize that everybody's parents aren't the same. And I really have to say that both of my parents, but particularly my father, was extremely interested in all of his children being high achievers, and he encouraged us to do the best that we could do. He was a physical scientist as well, and he really encouraged my brother and I, especially to go into medicine, and said the sky's the limit. And he was one of the first people to introduce you know, an African-American family to the six-year medical program at Northwestern. In other words, you are accepted to medical school when you graduate from high school and only 60 people in the country for Northwestern are admitted, 30 from Illinois. And both my brother and I, you know, in our respective years were accepted And I think he believed in the best for us. He actually took us to Northwestern when we were in eighth grade in our different eighth grade years and introduced us to the dean of the medical school. So I don't know too many dads (laughs) that would do that. And so encouraging every step of the way. And I think without that foundation, I don't know if I would, would have been as courageous because there were obstacles in high school. Actually, my high school counselor I would say her name, but I don't want to get in trouble, said, oh, you shouldn't go. I was valedictorian all four years in high school. I had one of the top grade point averages in the city of Chicago. And she said, oh, no, you shouldn't waste your time. You're taking the spot from some man. You're only going to get married. Now, that wasn't that many years ago. And I just looked at her and said, you're absolutely out of line. And I went to the principal and I told him, and I don't think if I didn't have the foundation from my father. So, you know, my father, especially, and my mother as well, they were really very bright people, and they encouraged their children as the sky's the limit. And I wouldn't be here without them. Secondly, I I would think that, you know, again, we have our mentors as teachers. There seem to be a lot of hands guiding the way. You know, again, it's a village to get us through to where we are. And I'm very appreciative of everyone. In med school, I had Jessie Turnberg. She was one of the first women pediatric surgeons at WashU. And people see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And I think that has been the spark because I never thought I would be a surgeon. I was going to go into research and pathology. And when I was a student in the operating room, OR nurses could be extremely mean, especially Mm -hmm. to medical students at that time. But they would give me suture and they would tell, give me old instruments, tell me to go home and practice. Uh, I would say to myself, why would they tell me to do that? But again, people see something in you that you don't see in yourself. So I would kind of put it in a nutshell that there have been a number of mentors of all races and sexes that were very instrumental.
1: That's great. And I think you definitely shared a lot of what we actually need, especially as, you know, women looking to enter a male-dominated field. And that is, you know, the support of friends and family, the support of mentors, like you mentioned Basically, that village that you talked about, you know, all those people who kind of just lift you up and continue to support you along your journey. So I'm so happy that you were able to pull on the strength of those people and that they helped you, you know, to get through what was, I'm sure, you know, tough at times um, getting through the medical school and residency. Yeah. So the next thing I think it might be important for our listeners to know is, you know, a lot of times as, you know, women, we may be looking to, you know, move into that leadership role. There might be medical students out there who are still thinking about, you know, what specialty am I going to go into? You know, what is it going to really look like to be in those shoes? So can you just share with us what does a day as a medical director for the Breast Surgery Center at Hackensack look like? What does it look like for you as a medical director and also as a woman who's a surgeon, a specialty surgeon at that?
2: You know, the days I really enjoy, I I would be hard pressed to have a job that I sat all day and kind of had the same duties all day. Mm -hmm. So we definitely have variety. We have days where we're seeing patients in our outpatient clinic, and often we have add-on or emergencies or people that need to be seen right away, whether they're new patients or some of our older patients, maybe who found out they had a recurrence at their medical oncology doctor. Today, I was in the operating room all day. I'll be in the operating room most of the day tomorrow. So Wednesday, I'm interspersed with clinic, but I have a lot of administrative meetings. We're preparing for our reaccreditation for the National Association of Breast Cancer Centers that's coming up on Wednesday, and then another interview... So it's papers that need to, manuscripts that are being prepared. I have a young woman in our office today, uh, this month, that I'm mentoring. She's an OBGYN, young African-American woman that wants to go into breast surgery after she finishes her residency. And she's been, I've been mentoring her since she was first year resident. And now she is looking to graduate next year and turning in her applications for her fellowship. I tend to do that for people who are interested, and it's been really good. So it's meetings and patient care, and then, you know, we have evening Zoom now. I'm sure you're a part of that. So last mm-hmm. evening, I was on a Zoom appointment and promotion committee meeting for the medical school because I'm also a professor of surgery at Hackensack Meridian Health Medical School in Hackensack, New Jersey. So I'm on that promotions committee, and we met from 5.30 to almost 8 o'clock by Zoom. So you you have full days. They start mm-hmm. early. We have a multidisciplinary breast tumor board that meets at 7:30 on Friday mornings, and then we go into an all-day clinic. Doesn't end until quite like 5:30, 36, you know, when we finally finish up paperwork. It's a full and active life. Yes, and I enjoy it.
1: That's wonderful. I think it's important for women physicians to hear that. First, that that you enjoy it. Um, Second, that it's giving you, like you said, that diversity. And I think that's a common theme that I'm hearing amongst a lot of women physicians who are in a leadership role as well as still practicing clinically, is that there is this sort of diversity in the roles and the duties and all of the things that you do on a day-to-day basis, which again, makes the job interesting, I'm sure. And it also sort of, I guess, fulfills that need for serving as well as the need maybe to or filling the need that you have to be creative and to create change as well.
2: Yeah, I think, it, you know, again, it, there's always challenges in, in every position and some days are better than others. Other days are pretty tough and you want to. But I think overall on balance, it provides enough variety and you, you're continuing to learn. One of the great things about being in oncology and surgery is that it's not a static field. There's new genetics every day. There's new treatments, new drugs, operative procedures, devices. I learn from my students. You know, young people can teach us a lot. So Mm -hmm. I, because they're you know, I have medical students as well as residents, you learn the latest computer stuff or apps. I mean, it's great to be around different age groups, different ethnicities, and that's why diversity and inclusion is important because I read somewhere that I didn't realize that black women physicians are about 2% yes. <laughs> of all yeah. practicing. I, I, It's hard to believe because these numbers are lower than when I first graduated. And we have to get out there to mentor people because medicine is still a great field.
1: Yes, it actually is. And I agree. I think it's so important for us as women, as, you know, African-American women physicians to reach back and to sort of be the inspiration, the motivation for those who may be looking to go into medicine, but feel like maybe for some reason it's too hard or they can't make it for them to be able to see those of us who have really succeeded and are thriving in our fields is so important. So I agree with you. I agree that diversity and inclusion is important for so many different reasons, obviously for patient care and patient outcomes, but also just to bring a diversity of ideas and to bring a different aspect in terms of how we even practice medicine, right? (laughs) So definitely. You
2: know, and having the cultural exchanges among people, we learn from one another. We only have one monolithic way to do things that really doesn't move the needle very far or mm-hmm. effectively. And so 2% is a pretty low number. <laughs> right. And I'm, but it's, it's lower than that when we look at board memberships and CEOs and, and things for, you know, both African-American men and women. I think that we have a chance to, hopefully in the, these latter years, try to do more to make people look at diversity in a different way.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I also, you know, I love the fact that you are still mentoring as well. I think it's important for us to really have a seat at the table and to continue to fill these roles because as we just mentioned, you know, we, the young people who are coming up behind us, the young doctors who are coming up behind us really do need to see an example, you know, of sort of what it means or what it looks like to be a doctor. So kudos to you. I'm I'm so glad that you're able to provide that mentorship. That's so important.
2: And we also have a women's mentoring program for our team members at Hackensack. And and I was chosen to be one of the mentors. And this is mentoring people. I'm mentoring a woman who has just become a nursing supervisor on one of the major hospital surgical wards. And there are not many women of color in leadership. Positions, Mm -hmm. sadly and so that's a goal to see you know we are going to have adverse situations there are going to be people for whatever reason just aren't happy to see you there
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: how do you handle that and how do you recover because it is you know sometimes it's a body blow and it could be uh, tough if you don't have someone to bounce ideas off of Mm -hmm. someone you could speak to candidly and to realize that it hasn't been all sweet and honey for anybody. And not everybody had great parents and not mm-hmm. everybody had the money. But, you know, you, if you have the ability and the courage, you can get through it. But you will need that village to help you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say to the women physicians who are listening to this podcast or the women who are looking to go into medicine, who may be medical students or still in training, what would you say to them in terms of any advice in terms of what it would take to really thrive as a woman physician who leads? What would that look like?
2: People think that uh, you have to be this courageous Wonder Woman and crash the walls and impervious to, <laughs> but actually I think it's being humble enough to accept constructive criticism mm. and improvement observation. And many times in my life, you know, when you grow up and you come out of your bubble where everybody told you we're kind of okay, or you're pretty good, and then you get into the bigger fish pond and there's some really tough people. I mean, they're, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. And don't get intimidated. Say, you know, I want to get to know that person. And realize that you might have to get out of your comfort zone. And don't give up. I tell my adult children that almost all the time. I said, don't give up on your dreams. Mm. You may have to work a second job. You may have to turn down that good party or trip that everybody else is going on because you have to make some sacrifices. But look to people when they give you constructive criticism. don't go, oh, I don't want to hear it. You know what? Sit back and think about it. Mm-hmm. Because they have been where you want to go. Try to mentor some people and they weren't open to mentorship. Some people don't like criticism. No one likes it. But you may want to sit back and pause. Give it a day, day or two if you need to. And say, are they coming at me with a position of kindness and and helping me, or is it just like someone telling you you're going to get married and don't take you know the spot offered to you that you earn? So there are ways that wasn't criticism. That was like kind of stupid, a stupid statement. But I think humility is really a key that's sometimes not spoken about. That I'm you know sometimes you're not all that, and you have to take and learn and learn from people who are different than you. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask. I don't know how to do that. You know, could you help me with that? Could you assist me with editing? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll be surprised coming that way. People will soften a little bit and say, you know, I really didn't know how to tie that knot or do that procedure or write that paper correctly. What could I do better? And that is a really good process to take in over your entire life i still do it
1: yes absolutely absolutely and i love those i mean i think that's just these are just some basic things right that we all can look at and being humble is definitely definitely at the top <laughs> i think that's important so that you know being humble i think allows you sometimes just get out of your own way you know and just be open like you said to see what's out there to ask questions to be open to other people's ideas that may be different than your own as well as taking a little bit of the criticism and then definitely getting out of your comfort zone, because I think that's probably also, you know, the next most important advice to give, especially women who are looking to climb the ladder is that you have to take risk. And that risk means, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, maybe doing something different that you thought you may never, you know, would have done previously, So thank you for those recommendations in terms of advice. I think that's going to be helpful to a lot of people who are listening.
2: A lot of times when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's kind of a Black, Hispanic, you know, people of color thing. But I think diversity and inclusion also has to be that we want people with different ideas, that we welcome the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. that we look And, you know, whatever we were taught before, let's have an open mind. And even people, you know, they like country music. Well, I really am not a fan sometimes, but I've opened myself up to, you know, something I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, diversity and inclusion is not just a racial, it's also social, it's cultural, Mm -hmm. eating new foods, and for all of us.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think it does. Definitely. It does extend we you know, beyond race. I mean, we've been talking about even age, right? That's another, another oh, yeah. area too. So yeah, definitely. It's, it's just being open to all different people, cultures, ages, their sex, gender, to be able to have a more uh, inclusive environment, but also just to have different perspective, right, and different opinions on different things as well. So this was a great interview, Dr. Johnson-Miller. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and to provide the audience with just some of your journey and some of the pearls that you have left us with as well. So in parting, is there any last words that you'd like to say or any last bit of advice that you'd like to leave with the audience?
2: I think if I had to look back, don't be afraid to extend your education, you know, so you say, well, I've got my MD, and maybe if you have an interest in public health, that might be, there are a lot of online courses now, there's a lot of leadership courses, there's leadership and MBA courses, if you think you wanna go into hospital administration, hence law, you know, those are things that, if in your mind, you know, you wanna practice clinical medicine, and it's nothing wrong with being a pure clinician, it's absolutely needed, but you said, you know, I want to do something, you know, can I help more people by legislation and I want to help with health policy, you know, on a national or regional level. I've done a lot of things off the cuff, but I had, if I could look back, I would go and get a formal degree. And I think it's needed even more so now, you know, in this younger generation mm-hmm. in order to get a better seat at the table. Mm. So I would recommend considering that strongly and you know you can oh i already have a lot of student loans i'm already broke i'm already you know sometimes institutions can help you if you're a junior faculty sometimes the courses aren't as much sometimes we could cut back on other areas so that's one consideration and to really dig down deep in yourself and think about what you really really want to do because once you finish your md once you finish your residency or your fellowship and get your first job there's more to do you have a long life ahead and kind of keep thinking about that next step.
1: Yes, that's great advice. Thank you for that. I think it's really important, yes, for especially if if someone's looking to expand or to go beyond, you know, clinical medicine, if they're looking to get into other areas, it may require some additional training or certification or even degree might be necessary. So thank you for sharing that piece of advice as well. So this ends our interview today, Dr. Miller. Thank you so much again for joining us as a guest. And anytime that you want to come back and speak with us, feel free to do so. We'd be happy and honored to have you as a guest again on the show. And I hope that you have a great rest of your week.
2: And I'm so appreciative of the invitation. And anytime you want me back, just give me a call and we'll be glad to do it.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders, at www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time,
0: take care. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.